On this episode, we talk to the one, the only, the six-time world barbecue champion, Mark Lambert of Sweet Swine of Mine. Welcome to the Butcher Barbecue Podcast, world headquarters, Wellston, Oklahoma. The Butcher Turn Pitmaster, your host, David Bosca. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Butcher Barbecue Podcast. We have a six-time world champion, Mark Lambert. Mark, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. How you doing today? It's my birthday. Woohoo! That's right. It sure is. I seen that on the good old Facebook. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you, sir. Tell everybody how you got started and when you got started. Man, I got started uh, cooking barbecue after I moved to Memphis and went to work for a phone company that had a hospitality suite at Memphis in May and just asked for uh, volunteers to come sit up and tear down and haul trash and on the clock and you get to drink beer. So, um, we got started just by, you know, showing up to Memphis in May, just, you know, just sort of as, you know, as the help necessarily, we didn't know anything about barbecue. And, you know, after a few years down there, I had a, uh, made friends with one of the, one of the cooks on the team and learned a little bit about barbecue from him. And then when our, our, um, I guess our budget got yanked out from under our feet one year due to a bad, you know, bad revenue year with the phone company and uh they cut our budget so uh, a bunch of us you know sort of just pulled our funds together and our time and resources and cookers and decided to go out and do it on our own so we changed our name from we were the, the our our mobile network at the time was called the mobile uh mobile link network so we used to be the mobile links and uh we changed from that to uh sweet swan of mine we come up with that sitting around the table coming up with a bunch of cheesy names and Sweet Child of Mine came on the house radio at the restaurant we were at, and it just kind of popped out. And ever since then, we've been Sweet Swan of Mine. And my buddy, uh, my buddy that was the cook, passed away back in 2000, and I uh, took over since then. And we've been fortunate enough to uh, do really well on the competition circuit and, uh, you know, didn't really plan on it, but turned it into a full-time job. I'm just curious, are there any of those team members still around with you cooking? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've got uh, – one, two, I guess two of them right now. Oh, that's probably pretty good uh, average considering the time you've been in it. Because you said back in what ninety yep. something, ninety eight is when we uh, we started uh, Sweet Swan of Mine. So kind of started the uh, two years before that in ninety six uh, with the phone company. So yeah, you've been at it twenty two years or better, without a doubt. Oh yeah. So when you was really getting to cooking, and obviously you did the Memphis and May a lot, did you do much KCBS back then? Man, not until around 2005, I think. Um, you know, we really kind of hit our first big league, our first world championship in 2005 and started getting uh, interested in, in cooking more and learning more and, and expanding beyond Memphis and May. And did my first one in 2005. Um, kind of got hooked. A local KCBS, the first KCBS contest that happened in Memphis uh, at the Variety Club in 2005. Did it with a buddy of mine, and uh, I think we say we won maybe second place in ribs and first place in chicken. And you know, if we knew anything about cooking a brisket, we might have won the first one we ever did, but we didn't. So uh, <laughs> we uh, yeah, got started cooking uh, KCBS in 2005, and and. Uh, you know, plugged along here and there and went, went and did the Royal a couple of years later. And funny enough, uh, 
we did the Royal the first time. We got seventh overall at the Royal. Same thing. Didn't know how to cook a brisket. And it cost us the Royal in 2007, I think it was. Golly. So back then, what were you so cooking on? I've, I've learned how to, I've worked. Oh, man, we were cooking on backwoods, uh, backwood smokers, and, uh, well, that's it, backwood smokers. <laughs> okay, <laughs> about what about now? We, we did occasionally, we did, we did cook occasionally on uh, a little a little backyard rotisserie called a genuswine. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. No, I haven't. But we uh, we played with the genuswine, a little, it was a little offset uh, rotisserie, and we cooked chicken on it and uh, did really well with it. You can't get them anymore, but. Um, now we still cook on backwood smokers, um, and we cook on old hickory pits and we cook on drums. Uh, and we, I got a jambo that I tow, tow around. So depending on what we're taking, where we're taking it and what type of competition it is, really is just what we go and cook on. But, you know, I've, I've gotten to where I really like cooking on drums a lot. Uh, and I like cooking on my stick burner a lot. So but at the same time, I've got a, uh, a couple of different pellet cookers that I carry with me, uh, just again, just depend on what I'm taking and where I'm going as to what I carry with me. So basically, it's whatever mood you're in. Whatever mood I'm in, and you know, again, if I'm if I'm riding with someone instead of carrying my own vehicle because I have a lift gate on my truck, so I can carry as big a pit as I want. Or uh, if if I'm not towing my trailer and I'm riding with somebody that can't tow it, maybe we'll put a different pit in the back, or maybe we'll just throw a couple of drums, or maybe we'll just hook up the chimbo. Um I like cooking on a little of everything. I don't have my have one cooker that I have to carry with me that I've that superstitious about. I, I, like, I got a lot of cookers I like, and I like the results on different things on different cookers. So it just depends on what I'm doing, where I'm going. Okay, I got to ask, do you still have maybe one of the first cookers you ever cooked on? No. No, I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have any more of those. They, we cycle through them. Um, back in the day, you know, when I first got out of college and my first job was the phone company out of college. We didn't make a lot of money back then. And as you well know, competition barbecue is very expensive and I didn't have the pocketbook really to do it. So well, the way I got into, you know, barbecue as a, as a profession, really, I should say, is I started selling uh, backwood smokers on the side to support my barbecue habit. So in order to make money to go compete, uh, I became a, a backwood smoker dealer in the Memphis area. And the next thing you know, you know, someone else asked me to sell their line of cooker and another one and another one. And then the next thing you know, I cook sauce and rub and people want me to sell their sauces and rubs. And it just sort of morphed into a full-time uh, barbecue store. My, that was my next question. How, what, what, what was the first item you took to market? The first item I took, to, well, like I said, I sold backwoods as a dealer since 2003 uh, but the first thing that I took to market of my own product, with a brand of a sweet one of mine, was just my original barbecue rub. And you had that co-packed, and you just put it in your mix of goods yep. you sold? Yep, yep, just put it in the mix of goods I sold. I had it co-packed locally here in Memphis, um, and they're with a smaller company that helped me get started, and they did the labels, and everything could do small batches, and it just really worked out for everybody. And, you know, I went to work as a, for a construction company, and the construction company really hired me because to, to help teach someone how to cook barbecue. They didn't hire me because I knew anything about construction, but they knew I could, I knew how to deal with people and, uh, and their best customer. They wanted the best customer to, to learn how to cook barbecue. And so that was my goal was to teach them how to cook barbecue. And we became good friends as a result of it. You know, I, the, uh, we started 
you know, we went to trade shows and you want know, to go to trade shows, you carry pens and paper and stuff to give away at your trade shows. And we started, uh, I started mixing up rub and sauce to carry to trade shows to give to special customers. And it sort of caught on. People started asking for more of it and they were, they go by and this is the barbecue. These are the barbecue contractors over here. <laughs> you need to try some of their barbecue sauce, you know? So it, we started noticing real quick that it was real easy for people to remember you as a barbecue contractor rather than just a roofing contractor or a painting contractor. So we realized real quick that that little barbecue hook was valuable. And I started producing it for our, uh, for our best customers and for our trade shows. And then, you know, looked around to find uh, other suppliers that were less expensive and other suppliers that could produce more volume. Wound up moving to a, a co-packer up in Kansas city uh, Old World Spice to do my dry seasoning and wound up hooking up with uh, Allegro Fine Foods in Paris, Tennessee to do my sauce. And uh, we produced a barbecue sauce under the Contractors Incorporated name for our, all of our marketing. So everything we did was centered around barbecue sauce and seasonings and, and hospitality and, and charity events focused around barbecue cookouts and things for our customers. And it was very successful. And, and that whole company still uses that model today. Wow, that's really cool. I've not heard anything quite like that, so that's a one of a kind for me. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, okay, you you were doing that. When did Sweet Swine of My Distributing kick in? So I started. I guess I, when I started first selling pits in two thousand three, um, I didn't really call it Sweet Swine of My Distributing until probably two thousand five. Um, I just was just kind of, sort of just selling pits on the side as Mark Lambert, but. Uh, I figured, you know, with, uh, you know, the distribution end of the sales end of Sweet Swan of Mine was going to be, needed to be something and trying to keep the brand consistent because it was a catchy name and just decided to say, we're Sweet Swan of Mine distributing. It's a sales arm of the team. And I said, it just, it wound up morphing into something that I never, uh, I don't know if I really planned on it for the first part of my career. Eventually I decided it was something I wanted to do probably around 2011, 2012, uh, and then by 2013, I started doing it full time. So, did you go get a warehouse? Did you stay with the construction company and use some of their stuff? How did you get started? What I'm trying you to know, do is explain to some other people. Let's say they got an aspiration to do the same thing. How can they mm-hmm. take those baby steps? Man, I started selling cookers out of my garage. Um, when it became a little bit much for my garage, I, I bought a storage building and put it in my backyard and. I filled it with smokers and grills and charcoal and stuff like that. And when it got a little bit big, I went and rented a storage unit and I rented another storage unit. And then when I took the, the job with the construction company, they, you know, that was part of the deal. They let me stock all of my stuff because they had a big warehouse. So I started stocking my stuff at the construction company and sort of when the construction company grew to a point that that really just didn't work for them, they, uh, I decided to move it into, uh, I've leased a little bit of space from a friend of mine that was leasing an old rundown uh, manufacturing warehouse in Bahia, Mississippi. So uh, I moved everything to Bahia, Mississippi. And it was just, a, I just leased a little, probably a little 5,000 square foot section of this old warehouse. And um, they used to manufacture brooms and mop handles and, you know, brushes and all kinds of stuff. And I just fenced off a little spot back there and put my stuff in it. And I was there. Um, you know, it was it was dimly lit and had very little, didn't have any air conditioning, no heat, no water. You know, I just was kind of tucked back in there, doing my best to sell as much as I could through word of mouth and the Internet. 
uh, and started eventually, you know, started the online e-commerce business out of there until I was able to find uh, a warehouse of my own. And in uh, 20, the end of 2016, I found uh, my current warehouse, which is just down the road. I found this little warehouse and somebody was, I guess a guy had it that his father-in-law was running the business business for him and he got sick and they weren't really operating anymore. And he, uh, I asked him to sell it to me and he did. So this is uh, it's really just kind of worked out just sort of building as it going along. And as I ran out of capacity and run out of room, I'd find something else. And I guess at the end of the day, good Lord's looking out for me. And, and I know it kind of on the right path because it all, it's all, it all seems to work out without too much trouble. I think that's a great story. And I know now also, which you've got something that a lot of cooks has aspiration and that's have a smoker of their own. Tell us about the red box. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, um, backwood smokers was my very first line to carry. And <clears throat> after, I don't know, after about five or six years, their little baby model, their, their first model they ever put out was called a patio. And they decided to eliminate it from their lineup in probably 2009, somewhere in there. Just weren't producing. They weren't producing that many, and just weren't making the the margin on it that they thought they needed to make at the dollar they could sell it for. They eliminated it, and a lot of people were asking for it. They were all asking, you know, people, you know, came to us and saw the quality of food that we put out out of a backwood smoker, but not everyone could justify spending you know, two to three to $4,000 to, you know, to cook barbecue. And at the end of the day, most people didn't need the capacity and the space that you could get out of one of those larger smokers, not for the backyard. So I went to the manufacturer and asked him about bringing the patio back. He didn't want to do it, but he did offer uh, to let me um, sort of set up a little licensing agreement to uh, sort of, at, at the end of the day, purchase the plans for the little patio that he eliminated, uh, start working with a manufacturing company over in China uh, to manufacture it for me. Funny enough, it, again, I talk about just, you know, right place, right time, good Lord looking out for you. Uh, we went through seven or eight different manufacturers and making little models, you know, making test models of this this little uh, red box. The owner of Backwood Smokers at the time, Mike McGowan, was, was in a Sunday school class and they had a new pasture and they were all standing up introducing themselves and the pastor's wife was a manufacturer's liaison for, for companies in China. Oh, wow. And he said, I know someone you need to talk to. So I talked to, talked to her about it. And next thing you know, she's got a engineer, uh, sitting in front of me in my place, talking to me about the red box. And it, it wasn't going to be red at the time. It wound up being red. And we worked together to, to take, you know, all of the good, the design of the original backwoods patio and turn it into something that was not only packaged for sale and shipped, but we could, they could manufacture uh, with fewer parts and fewer pieces and less labor and volume and make it much less expensive to produce. And we wound up making a, a, a superior product for less money, even after we ship it over from China. And it's, it's been very successful. And, you know, we started, it started off and it still is a, an insulated water smoker, a cabinet water smoker as backwoods always has been reverse flow cabinet, um, stainless steel insides, but it's got a water pan and it reverse flows through the, through a hollow wall and it's insulated. And originally it was only designed to cook with water, but as we cooked with it and played with it, we realized how well it worked 
as a dry smoker when you reduce the amount of fuel you put in it. So we started working uh, with designs on heat diffusers, and we found that it's as good of a dry smoker at higher temperatures as it is a low and slow water smoker. So the next version that comes out will have some adjustments made to accommodate higher temperatures. But other than that, uh, it's been very successful, and we're going to uh, continue, if uh, hopefully, find a manufacturer stateside. Um, on our next run of smokers. Yeah, I import a handful of items made over there myself. And I'm just going to tell you, you're probably just like me. The importing is what's a killer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the company we worked with, were they were incredible. They were great people, great manufacturers. They were great to work with. Price points were good. I mean, very few returns and recalls, uh, defects, uh, but just... You know, we think the whole that whole culture and that whole business model has changed in China now, and uh, we're going to do our best to to try to bring it stateside if we can, if we can keep it from if if we can keep it from increasing in price too much. Right, right. So, for even from my own knowledge, are you having to buy large, large quantities to get them shipped over? Because myself, I'm just buying a couple pallets of product at a time. Yeah, we we we're, we bought two thousand units at a time. Well, that's not stupid. No, it, it's it's a lot, uh, especially when you're talking about the size of it. When they're only about three hundred of them fit in the container. <laughs> well, okay, so, I get you there. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a bit difference. Yeah, they're, because of the size of them and the, the weight and everything, it's uh, it's bulky and it's expensive to to ship when you're thinking about that many. But not as much as you'd think. And you know, when you've got someone a good uh, liaison to work with it really you know takes a whole lot of the burden off of you as far as a a knowledge burden you don't have to know everything there is to know about importing when you have someone good in place there that you can trust oh that's right well just thinking of the distributing part what would you say you got some goals for sweet swine of mine distributing if you had any short-term or long-term goals what do you think they might be I sound like your banker, don't I? Oh man, <laughs> you know that's a good question. Uh, you know, this it was all. It eventually was a means to to allow myself to compete more. I would certainly like to be able to compete more, but uh, I would say, you know, to, I would say I'd love. To, I'd, I want to be able to add. I want to be able to get that smoker produced in the states. I'd like to add one larger unit uh, to the smoker line. I also have got a couple of new products in the works in the way of seasonings and sauce. So one of them is very close to being produced. Uh, next, it'll be produced in January. It's a craft Worcestershire sauce. So nice. that'll come out in January. It's um, a result of a collaboration with a buddy of mine over in Northwest Arkansas, Joe Wilson. And he calls it Wilsonshire, and that's what we're going to continue to call it is Wilsonshire sauce. So that uh, that's coming to fruition first part of the year. Uh, working on some some new uh, umami rub that I, that I hope to be able to 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 launch next year at some point. Let's see. So I don't know. I would just like to uh, eventually build it up and and add a few new products to the line. And I guess overall long term goal of Sweet Spot of Mine is to is to put together a product line a lot a line of products that uh, you know a large company would like to add to their. The, a large company would like to scoop up and buy me out. <laughs> I guess that's what my long-term goal is. I say the same thing. I've always said, <laughs> man, if someone comes along and offers me the right dollar, 
dude, I'm walking away. Yeah. I'm walking away. And that, that's, you know, that's the way I look at it. I mean, I don't plan on doing this until I'm 80. Uh, if there's a, if there is an exit strategy, I'm looking for it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not, not the, the strategy not isn't what your what goal is. The strategy has got a long term, and that's the exit part. Yeah. Yeah. It's the exit part. And I don't have it all mapped out yet, but you know what? I, I didn't have it mapped out where I was going when I started this journey either. And I have faith in the good Lord will lead me down the path that, that, uh, that he wants me to be. So I just, I'm patient and enjoy the ride. And eventually if there's, if that opportunity arises, then I, I hope I'm able to take advantage of it. There you go. I love that. I love that. Maybe you'll make enough money. You can buy a house back in Idabel again. Hey, I've got still got eight acres back there, so I could go back any time. There you go. I love it. I love it. We're we're going to put you on the <laughs> Oklahoma Barbecue Association Board of Directors now. You got residence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've still got eight acres there in Idabel. So paid the taxes last week. I still got it. <laughs> Good. We need that. We need our roads paved a little bit better. <laughs> you got any hobbies? I love to fish. Uh, I love I love to fish. I love to hunt. So uh, primarily, I would say uh, I'm a turkey hunter, uh, a duck hunter. I, you know, I, I dabble. I like to deer hunt, and I'll go, I'll, I'll go hunt just about anything given the opportunity. But the things that I go out and pursue on my own, and and like to do, are really turkey hunt and duck hunt, and I like to fish. So outside of barbecue, really, that's those are my hobbies: is to you know fish and hunt and and, uh, and go compete in barbecue. That's that's my hobby. Yeah, you're right there just next door to probably some of the best duck hunting in the world, so I can kind of understand that. Very fortunate to live right here in the Arkansas Flyway, and, you know, we had a really good opener this year and uh, killed a bunch of ducks in the in the first 10 days, and then it kind of died off to nothing. And we're waiting on new ducks, and as soon as they come back, we're going to go back and chase them again. My son goes over there two or three times a year hunting, so I get the lowdown whenever it's good and bad both. So, uh, next year, hopefully, you know the competition world open up, and there'll be a lot more competitions available to go and do. And uh, I'm banking on it a little bit. I, I got myself a little RV, uh, one of those little small um, C uh, class RVs that I can, you know, tow a little cooking trailer behind me or throw a couple of drums on a hitch hauler and go compete a little bit next year hopefully that's what i'm banking on yeah that's barbecue we all love that barbecue that's where we started but you're you've gotten really deep into the sca world also haven't you oh yeah i, I love it it's uh and, and uh, i don't know it's just one of those things that uh, requires less input less time and resources and less effort and just as much reward uh you know, just as much fun and with a lot of the same people that I'm used to cooking with, I, I get to have just as much fun with the same group with a lot less input and just as much reward as the barbecue. So I've gotten really happy with, with cooking steaks and SCA and, you know, been fortunate to teach a few classes and been a part of some other classes and host some cooking classes. And it's just, it's just been a great journey to, to supplement. You know, I don't, I still love barbecue. It's just, there haven't been as many barbecue opportunities this year. And the steak opportunities are still there. So I've done a lot more of it this year than I ever have. I've not dove off into the steak world yet, but I keep saying I need to. Well, when you do, that grilling addiction is part of my tool bag. That stuff is all kind of good. I love it. Man, it I appreciate well that. It has done well for me ever since I started. 
One last thing here is, well, I just thought of this. It just, why it popped into my head, I don't know. Do you remember, and I'm trying to think, it's probably been seven years ago. You and Malcolm Reed teamed up for some classes. It was, I think they're in Olive yeah. Branch. Do you remember? I came yeah, down and took that to class. Work. Yeah. Absolutely, it, yeah. It was, I want to say, at a an old abandoned American Legion hut. Does that sound right? It was at a, it was at a Shriners headquarters. Shriners, okay. Yeah. Yep. I remember, yeah, you did the whole hawk. And when you were talking a while ago about product coming out and different things like that, I was sure hoping you was going to come out with a, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was a, it was a liquid and it had a dang good bite. It had a pirate on it. And I remember it kind of yeah. has a funky cork type thing on top. Yeah. 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 That was uh that was Captain Rodney, uh Buchan glaze. I remember that. And it seems like when I got back home, I searched for months trying to find that locally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you go, it, it's not really a thing that's typically available in a lot of barbecue stores. It, it, at the time, it was, and it is now. But it was a, uh, it's real common in the, um, like the flower and gift world. I mean, they send a lot of gift bags, baskets and flower shops and things like that. Um, so if you go into a, a, a gift shop, a lot of times they'll have it in their little little party favor section and um we that's how we found it someone gave it to us as a uh in a basket a gift basket and it's they've got this real famous captain rodney's cheese bake that with cream cheese and onions and bacon and it's glazed over the top with this 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 really sweet habanero glaze and i thought hey that's a that's a nice little uh, a little glaze to use on uh, on some <laughs> of our barbecue meat and I and that's when I started using it on some of the meats that didn't have bark on it to to make them shine and to pop give it a pop of flavor and sweetness where there was no bark and it did really well for me. Yeah, I I definitely remember it. It, it made a, a mark for me. Yeah, well, that's it, Captain Rodney's Buchan Glaze. There you go. I can see it coming out now. It's sweet swine of mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many of them. Um, you know, I, I made good friends with Craig Sherry at Texas Pepper Jelly. He's yeah. got one that's very similar. Um, you know, there's uh, Cosmo's got a bunch of them available. Uh, you know, just so many of them available from other different people and friends of mine that I was like, yeah, if I'm going to come up with something new, I'm going to, you know, I like to blaze my own trail. I like to find my own flavor and do my own thing. And it, just, it has to feel right for me to do it. So uh, I made some of those things that I enjoy. It's just never anything that I, and, and part of it has to do with the, your supplier, you know, your suppliers being willing to do the kind of things that you want to do and being able to match, um, you know, resources, so to speak. That just never really worked out. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I'm not a copier type person. If I want to put my name on it, it needs to be mine. I need to understand it from the beginning to yep. the end. That's yep. right. Same here. Mark, you've done a whole lot in barbecue. And let me say, you're one of those people that give back. You give back a lot and a lot of time. I know you're really big with a OBR, National Barbecue Association. Mm-hmm. What What is your roles with some of them? Uh, I'm a I'm a, a state lead, and I guess one of the uh, one of the core volunteers in the state of Mississippi. Uh, so you know, we whenever there's a opportunity to feed people from a disaster in this part of the world. Uh, you know, we have a we we store a lot of the OBR 
uh, equipment and resources here in my place uh, because it's just a good middle ground and passing, you know, through going to hurricane grounds and, you know, where hurricanes hit. So it works out that uh, we, we're always in the know and always sort of on the OBR trail whenever uh, there's a need. But the uh, National Barbecue Association, you know, one of the very first uh, conferences I went to uh, for the National Barbecue Association was in Olive Branch. I had wanted to go uh, to one of their conferences in the years past, I mean, years before, but just was never able to take off the time to go do it. And when they actually had it in my hometown, I was able to go and immediately connected with a bunch of the people um, that organize it and put things on. I've never just been one to sort of just show up and, and watch. I always like to usually, you know, get involved, get my hands dirty. I figured if I'm not, if I'm not driving, so to speak, it's hard to get back where you're going. And, you know, if you, if you ride with somebody somewhere, and you're not driving, sometimes you don't know how to get back there when you want to go back. But if you're, if you're driving or navigating and you're engaged, then it's, you know, it's easier to get back where you're going. And that's my philosophy when I go somewhere like that is to just get involved and dig in and it's easier to get where you want to go. So I got involved with MBBQA and eventually became the president and uh, still on the board, but not the president anymore. But I, I feel it's one of those things you get involved and, and give it your all. It's one of those things that, uh, you you get out of it what you put into it. So we do all did our best to to make it as successful as we could for as long as we could. Uh, this year's been troubling because we had no conference due to COVID, but uh, hopefully it, uh, we'll be able to have it next year in Louisville, Kentucky, if uh, good Lord will it, and the COVID doesn't rise. You know. Yeah. Let's give just due where we both had mentioned and we abbreviated it, OBR. There will be a few people listening that don't know what OBR is. Tell them. Yeah, it's Operation Barbecue Relief. It's a 501c3 uh, charitable organization that uh, feeds victims of natural disaster and first responders uh, during times of flood, fire, hurricane, uh, earthquake, natural disaster. Uh, So it's uh, bbqrelief.org. And so it's all... It's mostly a volunteer-driven organization that anybody can be a part of. Download the app on the iPhone or Android, and you can sign up to be a volunteer right on your your personal device. And you know, they'll uh, they'll let you know in your area when there's a call for volunteers. The way I look at it, every, my pastor told me that everyone has a gift, and it's up to you to figure out what that gift is and 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 give it. And if, if you don't give it, then you're not, you know, it's not doing you any good. So that's. That's kind of what my gift always was, was to go out and, and feed people and to cook. And uh, it, it seems that more and more, the more I go to, to OBR and deploy uh, with OBR, the less and less I cook. I do more and more other things. But um, <laughs> when I go other places, I tend to do more cooking. But uh, the more you, you get involved with OBR, the, the, more, the more people there are that want to cook and the less the people there are that want to do the behind-the-scenes things. And so you wind up doing a lot of behind the scenes things, but again, it's, it's rewarding to get to go do those things. And, um, you know, we've even spilled over and in, into other charitable organizations through, uh, work with the Salvation Army a lot of times, uh, even when OBR is not involved or, uh, a buddy of mine that, uh, he started a, a organization called Stakes for Sheepdogs. And he goes and, uh, whenever there's a need in the community, in the, uh, the fire or, police department community or sheriff's departments uh he goes and he sets up uh dinners for them to go and, and show support to the sheriffs and police departments across the country that are in need or you know having hardship or 
uh, or just need a pat on the back and tell you know somebody good job. So going out and cooking steaks for the police is very rewarding as well. Well, that's really, really cool. Mark, we've gone to a point in this conversation podcast world that I'm not sure you're aware it's fixing to happen. But out here in my workhouse, okay. I've sure got a bunch of injection needles. I'm fixing to inject mm-hmm. you with a butcher barbecue truth serum. And All you right. have to <laughs> and you have to answer truthfully. All right. All right. These are some really thought through questions. <laughs> yeah, you know that. Shoot. What's the weirdest <laughs> thing you've ever eaten? Oh man, I'm gonna say um, uh, dried and fried uh, ants, beetles, and worms uh, in a taco with uh, avocado and cilantro and lime uh, in Mexico. Yeah, that would do it. Or maybe the <laughs> <laughs> that uh, you know tons of different things. I grew up in the country, so we ate coon and possum and uh, all that kind of good stuff growing up, and squirrel and rabbits and. A lot of wild game growing up, so that's really not as elaborate to me. But you know, ever since we, uh, you know, I ate the heart out of a, a beating heart out of a, a tuna that just hit the deck of the boat one time. <laughs> wow, that's that'd be a first for me. <laughs> <laughs> so they cut it out of the tuna when it hit the deck and handed it to you, and they hand it to you. You know, you know what I'm talking about? So you go ahead and just eat it. Wow, yeah, it's kind of yeah. weird, but that's it's like a rite of passage on your first tuna, from what I hear, and I'm like. Because they gave me the option of that or the eyeball, and I took the heart. Yeah, I don't want that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. You're still flowing with the truth, sir. It's in your blood. What actor would you like to see play you in a movie? <laughs> hmm. Man, I'm not a big movie or actor buff, so uh, let me think. Who would it be drawing a blank? All right. Let's, let's change that up just a fraction. If you could say you wanted to be a superhero, what superhero would you be? You know, like the DC comic thing. Oh, man. Hmm. Man, I'm going to say, golly, that's a hard one, too. <laughs> Don't think too much hard, into it. Just pick one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Superman, I guess. Well, there you go. No, that's I, everything you've said as far as giving back and doing. Man, I think that's a great answer. All right, we got time. You got just enough truth serum in you for one more, and I'm not going to make this tough and make you think again because, man, I can tell it's been a little bit too hard. All right? (laughs) Here comes one that, okay, just think about it. Do you bite your tongue or your cheek more often? (laughs) Cheek. (laughs) See, simple and easy. Uh, this just yeah. kind of lets people get to know who Mark Lambert is. <laughs> He's a cheek biter. I appreciate the time coming on. I know you're as busy as I am. Won't you tell everybody where they can follow you, Sweet Swine of Mind Distributing, anything like that? Man, yeah. Um, you can, you can, if you Google Sweet Swine of Mind, you know, that's the first thing that's going to pop up. Um, you know, follow us on Facebook, of course. Um, you know, I'm Mark Lambert on Facebook or Sweet Swine of Mine Distributing. We have a page. Follow us there. Um, on Instagram, it's at Sweet Swine of Mine on Instagram. Um, it, you know, certainly look us up on our websites, ssomd.com, just the acronym for Sweet Swine of Mine Distributing. 
Um, go to my YouTube page. First and foremost, I'd love you to, to subscribe to our YouTube page. 95% of the viewers that watch my videos online are not subscribers. So unless they're lucky enough to pop up in the YouTube feed or to search for something and it just happened to be part of the keywords, uh, unless you're subscribed to my YouTube channel, you don't, you know, and, and you like, you watch the videos and like them, you don't get notified that a new video is coming out. So if you subscribe, you'll get notifications every time we post new content. And we just hit a thousand subscribers on our YouTube page. So you're going to start nice. seeing more and more content come out. You're going to see more content being shared through YouTube. Um, and we're doing our best to just do more things on there that we enjoy, like enjoy cooking, not necessarily competition barbecue. You know, we, we sell our, our classes online through Barbecue Champs Academy. If you're interested in competition barbecue, certainly, uh, you know, both mine and your classes are available at Barbecue Champs. But um, for YouTube, we, we just like to enjoy and have fun and cook the stuff that we like to cook in the backyard or in the test kitchen at our warehouse. So, we, you know, we cook everything from cakes to pies to uh, lamb to, uh, you know, we just did a special with a, a double smoked spiral cut ham. So we cook a lot of seasonal things. We're doing some wild game, you know, some informational videos on smokers and grills and how to use them, um, maintenance, troubleshooting, those kind of things. So subscribe to our YouTube channel and, and get notified whenever we post new content. And it's, We've, uh, we've had a lot of fun with it, and we'll continue to put new content out there that we think people want to watch. Yeah, I think we'd have both been in trouble if we didn't mention the Barbecue Champs Academy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of fun with that, and it's been very uh, very good to work with Mike Steele to put that together. He's got a host of really good, uh, really good guys, both steak and barbecue guys on there that, uh, you know, you know, you've been to, you've you've had you've hosted cooking classes and you've been to cooking classes, and you know how much it costs, uh, both money and time resources to go to a competition class. You know, it could the class could cost you seven hundred to a thousand dollars, and it could cost you double that just in travel expenses and lodging and meals and and not talking about how much time it takes away from your business. So when you can sit down in in a chair from your home and watch it as many times as slow or as fast as you want and whatever segment you want as many times as you want. Hey, it's, it's very, um, it's very doable, doable to get to go do more and more competition cooking classes. And, and in a sense, we started doing backyard classes and it's just a great way to do it, especially with COVID now when they're limiting how many people can get together. Um, you know, people wanting to get into competition barbecue still have that access to learn in uh, the comfort and safety of their own home. You're absolutely right. And that's a big selling point right now also. Well, Mark, I appreciate you very, very much. And just like he said about liking his YouTube channel, do the same thing here. Whatever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts, subscribe to our podcast so you know when it comes out. Mark, appreciate the time. I really, really, really do. Have a happy birthday, bud. I appreciate it, man. You have a Merry Christmas. Thanks for the call, Dave. Thank you, buddy. Smash that subscribe button and be ready for Butcher's next podcast. <laughs>